Recovery Elevator, episode 51. I can't live anymore. I'm going to live right now. And right now, today, I ask, I ask for help not to drink. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. And for those of you who are new out there, and according to download numbers, there are a lot of new listeners out there. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. I am so glad you guys are here. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for a day shy of 17 months. Also, a nifty little bit of information on that app. Since I stopped drinking on September 7th, 2014, it says I have saved $7,197. And let's not forget the 36 cents. That's a lot of money, Recovery Elevator. What will I spend this money on? Hmm, let me think. Well, If you are part of the Recovery Elevator community, and in just a moment I'll touch base on how to become part of the Recovery Elevator community, you are invited to the ultimate Recovery Elevator meetup in Peru. This is October 7th to October 16th. We are going to be in the Sacred Valley. We're going to do the Inca Trail. We're going to do volunteer work in Cusco at orphanages. So join the community and learn more about this trip. About 30 minutes ago, I'll be honest, I had trepidation of how I was going to fund a trip like this, but then I opened up my app and saw the amount of money that I saved, and I realized it's going to be just fine. On today's podcast, I've got Scott. He's an attorney from the East Coast who's on the top of his game, and from what I can take away from the interview is he is on a great pathway to success in recovery. Before I continue in this episode, I'd like to give a thanks to Elliot P. for helping me put my scrambled thoughts in my brain on a paper and help me organize this podcast topic, so thank you, Elliot. Today marks the 51st episode of what started almost a year ago as a way to simply hold myself accountable because me waking up in the morning and saying, damn it, Paul, I am done drinking for good. It really wasn't enough accountability because later that night, sometimes later that day, and many times towards the end that morning, I was drinking. So I made the commitment then to do at least 52 episodes. And as I approach this number, it's hard not to be overwhelmed with the impact this podcast has had on myself and also unexpectedly on many of you guys. I mean, first off, 51 episodes later, I'm still sober. If my download stats said four people listened, my brother, my mom, my dad, and myself, and I'm still sober, it's totally worth it. I mean, what a miracle. But what I see as an unintended consequence is that many of you guys are also finding ways to stay sober and happiness and recovery. It's amazing to see what happens when we all put our minds together, stop isolating ourselves, and work together. So for that and all of you listening, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. There's rarely a day that I don't get an email from a listener who shares how touched they are by something one of our guests said on this podcast. I mean, I have interviewed over 51 guests now who have shared their story, and all of these stories in total have been downloaded over 160,000 times. 160,000 times. So to the prior 50 interviewees who have shared their courageous stories on the Recovery Elevator podcast, I got to share my gratitude with you guys. Thank you so much for helping me stay sober. And according to the bar graph on the download stat sheet in my Libsyn account, Thank you for helping others stay sober 160,000 times. The impact of us simply and honestly sharing our stories is bringing hope to many who might not have found it otherwise. Please keep sending me your emails with your stories. I never get tired of reading them. And even if I don't have time to respond, I want you to know that I'm reading them. The Recovery Elevator Project is growing. Sometimes I get 10 emails in one day. I read them all and they are essential to helping me stay sober, but please be patient if I don't get back to you soon. I'm extremely grateful to receive these emails. Also, if you want to share your story with Recovery Elevator Podcast, number one, I'd love to hear it. 
And number two, countless others would benefit from hearing your story. Email me at info at recoveryelevator.com. Put share story in the subject line. I want to hear it. And because of you and your desire to continue the discussions after each podcast, that's why we started the Private Recovery Elevator Accountability Group. I remember being amazed when we reached 60 members of the group. And as I released today's podcast, we are capped out at 500. It is absolutely incredible to see all you guys in the group sharing your stories, the pictures, the videos, asking questions for advice, putting yourself out there, everybody helping everybody stay sober, checking in on each other, creating accountability. Now, I just mentioned the Recovery Elevator private accountability group is capped at 500. And what I've learned in the last eight months doing the private groups is 500 is too much. We're actually trying to shrink the group to 250. I've reached out to a couple people who were very active in the group and they're no longer as active as they were. I learned that intimacy in the group is jeopardized when we get over about the 300 mark. So I asked some of the key members in the group and they requested groups of two to 250. And that's what we're gonna do. But by no means am I the gatekeeper to these groups or sobriety. These are your groups. What we did is we just created more groups and we also created a parent group. This is the forum. This is at community.recoveryelevator.com or go to recoveryelevator.com, click on accountability groups, click the link to join the forum. This is a private forum. You need a username and login to enter the forum. Branching into the forum, just like tributaries lead into the ocean, are the groups. And I've built more groups by region because one of the most painful parts of being an alcoholic was the isolation component. I felt so alone. I felt like I was the only alcoholic in the state of Montana. In the zip code 59718, I felt like I was the only one. So I decided to create several more groups based on region. And as soon as these groups get capped at 2 to 250, we'll just start another group more specific to that region. The regions that we've already created are USA North, South, East, and West, USA Midwest, USA Northwest, Canada. By the way, my brother is marrying a Canadian woman on June 5th, and she's a sweetheart. I love Canadians. We've got Recovery Elevator Private Accountability Groups Oceana. That's South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. We've got RE Accountability Groups Asia, RE Accountability Groups Latin America, RE Accountability Groups Europe. How do you join these groups? Well, it's simple. Go to recoveryelevator.com, accountability groups, fill out the questionnaire. There's a drop-down box where you can tell what region of the world you're in and what group you'd like to join, and bingo, that's it. One of the paramount principles that I have learned doing this podcast for almost a year is that when we work together, alcoholics working together, we've got a better chance of success, period. It's that simple. Bill and Bob had this thing figured out from day one. So what has happened with this podcast in the last 51 episodes? It's all something I could not have imagined a year ago. And it is a testament to the power of what can happen when we get honest with ourselves and we get outside of our comfort zone. So just in case you're wondering, I may get a bit sentimental and maybe even get a bit emotional as we approach the milestone episode 52. But this just in Recovery Elevator, I'm not going to stop at episode 52. I know in episode 000, which is kind of like the prologue, I said I'm only going to commit to 52 episodes and I'll let you guys know later if I proceed to continue. Well, Recovery Elevator, you guys have stuck with me for 51 episodes. I'm going to stick with you guys. After doing today's interview, I was reminded of one of the most devastating things I've noticed during this busy year of podcasting. Being interviewed by others, speaking at schools, and interviewing all of you guys, it's the stigma that is associated with alcoholism that is so dangerous. Because most people don't even know the definition of who an alcoholic really is. 
they associate it with the worst stereotypes society has labeled with problem drinkers. Bums under a bridge, domestic violence, liver cirrhosis, drunk driving, weak willpowered people, the list goes on and on. The truth is, I don't even like to talk about this stigma because it seems to only strengthen it. Heck, it is the stigma and the repulsion we feel about being associated with this stigma that keep many of us from ever getting help. And that stigma led me to my failed suicide attempt in 2014. The truth is, this stigma is wrong, dangerous, and it needs to change. I'm thinking of coming up with a name like I did for my addiction. My addiction is named Gary. Maybe I'll call it Stanley the Stigma. Who knows? This stigma is alive and it's got legs. And sure, like any good lie, there may be an element of truth in this stigma. But many of the people I've met in person and interviewed over the airwaves via Skype over the last years, their lives in no way resemble this stereotype. I think today's guest is another perfect example of this. Alcoholism, like many of this century's hot social issues, race relations, women rights, gay rights, etc., also suffers from something I like to call contempt prior to investigation. For when we really investigate what an alcoholic really is, only two salient points stand out. Number one, we tend to have a mental obsession which makes it seem impossible to not have that first drink. And number two, when we start drinking, a physical allergy kicks in and we can't control our drinking. That's it, period. Let me repeat this again. We tend to have a mental obsession that makes it seem impossible to not have that first drink. And number two, once we do start drinking, a physical allergy kicks in and we can't control our drinking. Shit, Stanley, the stigma, it's this clear. Alcohol has been defined as a disease by the American Medical Association in 1956, and it does not make a person good or bad. When I speak to smaller groups at schools, I write two words on the chalkboard, cancer and alcoholic. And then I ask them to give me words that describe alcoholic. And like the words that I just said, bum, under the bridge, weak person, loser, all the above, those are the words that I write under the word alcoholic. And under the word cancer, you have words like survivor, fighter, victim, can't help the situation, needs more help. And then I draw an arrow between the two. And I say, what do these two things have in common? They have no clue. So after about 15 awkward seconds, I just tell them, look, these are both diseases. I let that sink in for a second. And then they have a look on their face like their mind just got blown. It's this stigma. Damn it, Stanley. You suck the stigma. Do you guys want to know the crazy thing about this stigma? With all the alcoholics that I've spoken to over the last year and all the non-alcoholics, it is by far the still drinking alcoholic who has the most negative association with the word alcoholic. Normal drinkers often do see it as a medical issue. They might not understand, but they recognize it as a medical issue. And a medical issue that has treatment options. On the other hand, recovering alcoholics have often worked through the association and seem to have no problem being associated with the term alcoholic. My name's Paul. I'm alcoholic. Hell, my Match.com profile right now in the first line says I'm an alcoholic. Ironically, it's the very people who have the most negative association with the word that need the help the most. So let's work on this stigma, recovery elevator. Let people know that you're an alcoholic. They might be like, oh, this girl Pam from Wyoming, she's an alcoholic. She's a wonderful woman. She's a great lady. Maybe alcoholics, they aren't so bad. And if we've done one thing by sharing our stories this past year, I hope it is that we've helped each of us realize that we are not at all different. And we are not at all that bad. In fact, most of us are making amazing and courageous progress in our lives. We are doing the things that I believe we will find the most meaningful when reflecting back on our lives from our deathhood. 
We are making amazing friendships, expanding our recovery network. We are looking at our career, not as a job, but as a way to serve others. We are looking to love ourselves and we are finding joy. We truly are the lucky ones. So it's simple. It's not easy, but it's so simple when you take away the stigma. Stanley, the stigma, you can take a hike. Now, before we get to the interviewee segment of the podcast, I want to touch base on a couple things that Scott says. Scott seems to have this figured it out. And I love when we talk about how being an alcoholic is only one area of our life. And it by no means defines us. In today's talk, he keeps it simple. And he is a man of action. He is a successful lawyer on the top of his game who has raised a nice family of four kids and has been married for over 30 years. By all accounts, living in, he's living the dream. He is highly functional, highly intelligent, probably brilliant. And what we would call in Montana, he's a man's man. But you will hear him say he regrets the blank memories or the memories not made while drinking. He is a great and honorable person who sees that drinking has held him back from truly being the person he was designed to be, and he's making a change. So as you listen today, be reminded that you too are on a journey of becoming the person you were designed to be. For most of us, it happens slowly as we continually to take that blind leap of faith, take action, applying the principles to recovery in our lives. For others, like you'll hear today, there could be a profound spiritual experience which kickstarts the process. The key is, no matter what the catalyst is, we never forget why we march this path to happy destiny. It's in this mindset and in our daily actions that we find freedom from the obsession to drink and freedom to become a little more of the person we want to be. I think you will find that today's guest, Scott, he's well on his way. His story is so inspiring and so full of value bombs, it could be a two-part series. So I encourage you to listen to a few of these powerful themes. First one, without saying it, Scott touches on all three of the first 12 steps in a very powerful way. Second one, Scott is not a woo-woo spiritual guy, and I can't help be inspired by how spiritually profound he is in his recovery, whether you know that or not, Scott. Scott's journey from contempt prior to investigation of alcoholism to now having an acceptance that is supercharging his life. That's another pillar of Foundation Recovery Elevator. Acceptance is the answer. Once you finally accept it, sobriety is in your reach. Okay, now let's hear from our interviewee, Scott. Scott, how are you? I'm great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be chatting with you right now. Let's get right into it, Scott. How long have you been sober? Two and a half great months, Paul. Great months. I love it. Congratulations on that. And Scott, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old you are. I don't know. Are you married? And what do you do for fun? Okay, Paul, I'm 52 years old and I have been married for 31 years to the same woman. And uh, we have five children together, all of them grown. Wow. And so I have three, three grandchildren now. Let's see. I am a lawyer by profession, and I've been doing that for a long time, 30 years. And let's see, for, for fun, lawyers don't have fun, Paul. But <laughs> when we, we pretend to have fun, and what I like to do in my spare time, I love to fly fish, I love to fish, okay. and I love to hike. So your part of the world is really dear to me for all those reasons. Yeah, and tell me real quick about the Appalachians. Does that compare to, to the mountains out here in Montana? Well, it did a billion years ago. Paul, these were, first off, it's Appalachia, all right? And, it, and it's, um, this is a common mistake. <laughs> well, thank uh, you lots for of correcting. people say yeah. Appalachia, and we know them immediately as, as the inferners. Sure. But the, the basic, uh, basically, these mountains are a lot older than the Rockies. So 
they uh, they've had time to erode over the millennia, and so that's why they support the hardwoods that uh, make it so pretty in the fall. It's beautiful. It's beautiful here. It's snowing right now. It's lovely. Nice. I love it. And Scott, let's get right into things. Referencing the podcast title, when did you realize your elevator had reached the bottom and it was time to quit drinking? Was this 2.5 months ago or has this just been building for a while? Okay, Paul. I mean, really, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I've known that I had a drinking problem for years and years and years and years. Okay, so so known that that was a problem, kind of vacillated between knowing I had a problem and then thinking I was normal, thinking I could control it, you know, all those things that you have those discussions with yourself in your in your own head. You know, I had medical problems that started within the last year, high blood pressure. As you probably know, that's uh, often affiliated with chronic serious drinking like I did. It was plain in the last number of years that I was medicating rather than recreating. I would say it was also plain to me, if I was honest, that it was about the booze. You know, some people go to a wedding and it's about the couple getting married. You know, forget them. It's about the booze. Yes. For me, it was about the booze. You know, you go to the first communion, it's about the booze. All right, uh, you know, is there going to be a reception? Is alcohol going to be there? But that was part of part of being a chronic drinker is that you struggle to sleep at night sometimes. You, uh, I don't know if this ever happened. You wake up in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., 3.30, you know, just eyes pop awake and you can't really get back to sleep. Unless you have more so, alcohol. Unless you have more alcohol. And so... Which is not a good idea if you got to get up and be in court by 9 a.m. You know, you got to be on the sobering end of that thing. So my practice, my my regular practice, always been a faithful faith person. You know, I, I've uh, raised in the church. I, uh, uh, you know, believe in God. And so uh, my deal in the middle of the night when that would happen was to just say a rote prayer and say it over and over and over again. Okay, just uh, and just kind of like ease my mind, hopefully, back into sleep. Was it a specific well, prayer? Uh, yeah, the Hail Mary, believe it or not. Okay, so... Yeah, you so and Aaron Rodgers my, with the Packers. Exactly. So that was my practice, okay? That was my drunk practice. Mary, uh, you know, the Virgin Mary was part of my of my drunkenness. And so, so I would actually do this, and uh, sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. Hmm. But on this particular night, which was November 10, 2015, I, I, I launched into my like, okay, I got to get a few extra hours sleep. I'll just do a little praying here. And, you know, without going into the particulars, like I, I had a spiritual experience then, and uh, it was really clear that I needed to stop drinking. All right. So I was, I was pretty much confronted with that in the middle of this night. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll stop. You know, nobody gets so angry about it. Scott, I, I actually, I really want to hear the particulars. You're like, I don't want to get in the particulars about this, but I'm really interested. What are the particulars? Oh, okay. You know, I'm sitting there praying, and the particulars were, it's like, you know, you, you're, you're praying to me, but I'm like, I'm like nothing in your life. Alcohol is the most important thing in your life, right? So who's it going to be, me or alcohol? That's kind of the way it was. Mm. And, and it wasn't just that. Who's it going to be, your family or alcohol? Who's it going to be? You know, this is like, you know, walk, trying to walk the middle of this fence is, is, uh, is not doing anyone any good. And, and here was the other part. And by the way, you're going to die. That sounds pretty crazy. No, I mean, that was part of the message. Okay. By the way. Oh, that you're, you're going to die. Your, yeah, I got you. Yeah, you're drinking yourself to death. Sure. And, and, you're, and you're no damn good, basically, to me, the way you are. That's all paraphrased, okay? But that's 
the message. That's the message. And I'm the, I certainly am the only caller I've ever heard say anything like this. It was crazy. And it was crazy even for me. I don't go around having spiritual experiences like this. I'm not like that. You know, I'm a, you know, respected businessman. I mean, I'm just a normal, normal guy the rest of the time. Drunk, but normal. <laughs> I love that message. And as I'm talking to you right now, I'm looking up at a piece of paper that has been with me for about eight years and I typed it up and it's basically the same ultimatum. And actually on this piece of paper, there are four AA chips, my one month, two month, three month, and like my five or six month chip on there. It says, if you want this, then you can't have that. And if you want that, then you can't have this. And that's basically what I said to myself all the time. I'm like, look, Paul, you can keep drinking beers at this rate, but you can't have all those hopes and dreams and aspirations. And if you want to have those aspirations, right. hopes and dreams and a good life, you can't have the alcohol. So Scott, I love that ultimatum. Now, now earlier you said that you drank copious amounts of alcohol or a lot of alcohol. I mean, what, what did that mean? Was that just like a tequila sunrise a night or how much did you drink? Oh, dude, no, no. In fact, I'm amazed at some of your callers who call in. I'm like, thank God I didn't hear that person when I was like making this real commitment to sobriety because I would have said, hell, I don't, I don't have a problem. I was a world-class drinker. I, I <laughs> you listened um, to the differences there, huh? Yeah, I was a world-class drinker. I could, um, a normal night, and I'm talking about one in which I am being good. Okay, just being good. Sure. Seven pints of beer or we're drinking wine four to five glasses of wine. And, that, and that's me getting to court, all right? Mm -hmm. Not like at a restaurant, you know, where they are not quite as generous with their poor as, as I was with myself. So I'm one of those guys who could definitely, I drink, if I drank alcohol, I drink it as if it were beer. So to me, there is no difference between Jack Daniels and beer. You drink them both about the same. And the crazy thing is, is I've got, got some kind of cursed metabolism where, you know, I don't wake up with a horrible hangover, you know? And so what I'm describing is a weekday night and then weekends. Oh, you know, oh, double it. Let's hear it. Yeah, no, you double it on a week, on a weekend. And, uh, and again, not wake up with a hangover. So it's just one of those things, Paul, I'd always say, well, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't wake up with a hangover. How, how can I be an alcoholic? Uh, yeah. That's a, you, yeah, you might be an alcoholic if when you wake up, you're saying, oh, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't have a hangover. Now, Scott, prior to November 10th, 2015, nearly 2.5 months ago, did you ever try to say, hey, look, I normally have seven pints. I'm going to I'm gonna have four pints tonight, or I'm going to put in these rules to control my drinking. I'm not drinking before 5 p.m., or hey, I've got court tomorrow, not drinking the nights before I got court. Any rules like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Always, always coming up with rules. Not going to drink beer. Only going to drink wine. Only going to drink red wine. Only going to drink with my wife. Mm. which would mean that there would be a bottle of wine. That's and that, thoughtful. That means she gets one and a half, I get one and a half, right? Or she gets two smalls, I get two smalls. Hey, let me tell you, Paul, that it never worked. Uh, obviously, you know the answer to that. But it, it never worked. It didn't take me long to get like a box of wine and stick it under the counter so, oh. that, so that I'd be pouring the wine on the bottle and then my, my wine glass just never kind of went dry. It was, it was miraculous. It was amazing. Scott, it's funny. When yeah, I've, I, I've asked that question 49 times now. In the back of my head, we alcoholics, we have an obsession to find a way 
to return to be normal drinkers. And I, I think when I ask that question, like my pen is on the paper and I'm thinking like, all right, maybe somebody's actually going to have a plan that's going to work, but it never works. It's always the same result each time. Am I right? It's, it's exactly true, man. Now I have quit drinking like you. I quit drinking for a long period of time before, like for like two and a half years, just quit drinking. Two and a half years. That was, that's like exactly yeah, how long that I quit was, before. Tell me about that. That was in 2009. And it was real simple. My wife told me she wasn't going to sleep with me if I didn't quit drinking. So I quit drinking. And, and, and really, it was not that major of a deal. And so it was just, uh, okay, I can do this. But I didn't, I didn't even think I had a problem. I was like, okay, if you're going to be so upset about this, I'll do it. And so just somehow I started drinking again. And nobody said anything. Yeah. Walk me back to that somehow. Was it something that happened, or did you, or did your mind just say, "Look, we've been sober for two and a half years, Scott"? Because mine said, "Paul said, Paul, we've been sober for two and a half years. We're not an alcoholic." So what happened after two and a half yeah. years for you, Scott? Yeah. So I, I pronounced myself matriculated. I graduated. Like, okay, <laughs> you can go back. You can go back to drinking. It was as simple as that. I mean, it wasn't. There was no real. Earth-shattering event. I, I, there was no trauma. There was there was no particular reason. It's just that I was ready to drink, and so I had no reason not to. That's what I did. Now, so, have you uh, heard the term "dry drunk" before? Oh, and that was me, man. That was me. Uh, that that was it. I had not had any kind of. I hadn't worked any steps. I uh, I had not even said to myself, "You are an alcoholic." I had not said, "I'm powerless over alcohol." which by the way, I think is a great definition of alcoholism that just like I am powerless over this thing. It's, Absolutely. it's so much easier. It's so non-medical. It's so non-DNA. Is your genome different? Different. Who cares? All right. The only thing I care about is am I powerful over that or not? And the answer is I'm not. So, you know, forget everything else. That, that's the question. And I mean, once I'm honest with myself about that and say, yeah, I mean, the, the evidence is in, buddy. You, you, you don't have any power over that. Listeners, yeah. at 13 minutes and 20 seconds into this interview, a huge value bomb was just dropped right there. You simplified the entire process for me right there, Scott. Basically saying, listen, ask yourself and be honest. Do you have control or do you have the power to stop drinking? And if you don't, who cares? Don't, don't worry about if, what it is or what it isn't. You can't drink anymore. You don't have control. You are powerless. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, Scott, tell me what it's like right now. You've been sober for two and a half months. How are things going for you now? Paul, I honestly don't ever remember being happier. I can, mm. I can honestly say that. I, I feel the happiest I've ever felt each day. Each day is different. But, you know, that's, a lot of that, I think, is working these other steps. You know, the first step is, is saying, yeah, I'm powerless over this thing. You know, there's 11 more, uh, at least in the 12-step program. And so, you know, working those working those other steps, uh, kind of, there's a happiness in that. There's a real happiness in it for me. So, now, are, do, are you, do you have a sponsor? Are you in the mid, midway through the steps now? Uh, okay, I'm still a proud lawyer, man. I don't have a sponsor, right? And, and Paul, as I told you before, I don't even go to meetings. But... I spend an awful lot of times doing what I think are very positive things, you know, to stay committed to the steps that are, you know, leading me to sobriety. 
I think everyone's path can be a little bit different. Obviously, I have a great deal of respect for AA. I, I have I have told others that they ought to get in the you know uh, go to a meeting, and and I I expect at some point I will go to go to meetings and and do it regularly. But I haven't done that, and no, I don't have a sponsor now. One of the things I did right off the bat, and it was because of you listening to your um, recovery elevator, which is just to back up to that. You know, I had this experience November 10th. I wake up and I go, now what the heck do I do? Right? <laughs> what do I do what? now? Like, mom, <laughs> now what? Okay, like, think about back when you were drinking. How much of your day was focused around, okay, so when am I going to drink today? When am I going to drink? How much am I going to drink? How am I going to drink? Is it going to be okay to drink? So anything today that's going to happen in my life that's going to make me not be a good drink? Well, then we need to replan the day, right? So, so anyway, they, uh, I wake up and it's like, okay, now what? And uh, I sat there on the side of my bed and I got my phone out and I found Recovery Elevator Podcast. And I bet you I listened to your voice 10 hours that day. Were you and, awake all uh, 10 hours? Oh, yeah. No, I was awake <laughs> all 10 hours because... Because I was also doing stuff. You know, that's the great thing about podcasts. You throw in the earbuds and you can you can do other stuff. For sure. You know. Anyway, you know, physical activities, finding things to do, finding things to be thankful for, you know, it's just little steps. Yeah, and I hope I didn't make those first ten hours of sobriety more painful than they already are. Because I know how painful the first 24 hours and 72 hours are. What was that like? You know, your first, well, you don't wake up with hangovers. We already know that, but what was it like the first couple of days? You know what? I'm uh, again, I'm going to be a weirdo here. It was not that bad for me. It, it really was not that bad. It was like, it was a decision I hated to make. I felt like I was losing my best friend and, um, walking away from my best friend. But at the same time, as far as like, headaches, you know, any kind of withdrawal symptoms, didn't have any of that, just had a sense of loss, I had a, I had a sense that something was missing, something was going to be missing, but it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't that bad, you know, and each day led to another day, and it's like after after the end of the first day, I woke up the next day, I'm like, shit, I'm one day sober, you know, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the little app on my phone told me I was one day sober, so it's like, cool, I can do this again. And, you know, and I'd ask every day, first thing in the morning, I'd say, I'd pretty much look at myself in the mirror and say, you're an alcoholic. And then I would ask for the grace to not drink that day. And I was pretty sure once I did that, I wasn't going to drink that day. Once you ask God to help you not drink that day, I think it's, you know, if you're sincere, I think it's pretty much a done deal. You know, that day, I'm not going to drink. Now, the question is, tomorrow, I'm gonna, am I going to ask that same question sincerely? But I can't live anymore. I'm going to live right now. And right now, today, I ask, I ask for help not to drink. Scott, it so, sounds like you've got one of the core foundations down pat in recovery. I've heard you say it multiple times in the last minute, is one day at a time, basically what you're saying. I woke up today. I'm, I made it through the day. And I was like, wow, maybe tomorrow. You know, I'll ask myself the same questions. But I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm in today, this moment right now. That's all it is. You said another word earlier that jogged my memory. We were chatting before the interview, Scott, and you said you told your best childhood friend that you had a drinking problem. And this is a fear and trepidation that we all have as alcoholics. We are so fearful for telling our loved ones, the ones that only want the best for us in life. I had this same trepidation anxiety when I sent a text message to my seven best friends leaving the Denver Broncos Texans preseason football game in 2014 saying, hey guys, I'm struggling with alcohol. Their response 
why would it be anything different than supportive and encouraging? How did your best friend, your childhood friend, react? Exactly the same. In fact, he was he was re- just real funny. He said, you know, have you have you alerted the local liquor store and the uh, Coors Brewing Company? Oh. You know, like because their stock their stocks going down. And uh, you know, he was he could not have been. Uh, it was almost uh, ho hum. You know, like good good for you, man. That's uh, you probably I think you've been needing that for a while or something like that. And and whatever you need, I got your back. And that that was it. So and it was like, okay, now let's let's talk about something else, right? Isn't that amazing how? Yeah, it's amazing of how fast the subject changes with normal drinkers because one, they don't get it, and number two, they're only, they're happy for you. They don't care if you're drinking or not. Like they just want the best for you, and then they're going to change the subject real quick. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a second, we we were talking about something huge in my life here. Let let's get back to me for a moment, as selfish as we are. So Scott, who is next up on this list of people to tell? Oh, uh, backing up, backing up a bit, right early on, one of your podcasts said to, that it was real important to tell somebody. So I did tell someone I trusted and someone who I admired that I was an alcoholic. And he heard those words for the first time. For me. Mm. So, like, that was really important. I was going to go to a party that night. And I just happened to be listening to a podcast. And you were like, yeah, you got to tell somebody, particularly if you're going to go to a party. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can go. <laughs> I'm going to tell somebody. So who's up next? I, um, I'm really not that holding back it about telling people at the moment. You know, it's kind of like if it comes up, you know, I don't want to. You know, I think one of the traps we can fall into, Paul, I think the biggest trap is telling yourself you're not an alcoholic. So that's for the person who's still drinking, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, but the second biggest trap, I think, I mean, this is just me reflecting on it is once you do make that step, once you say, hey, I am an alcoholic, is in making that your identity. This is who I am. This is, this is the sum and substance of my life. This is the most important thing about me. This is what you should know about me the minute you see me. This is what you should know five minutes within meeting me. That's, that's a ridiculous concept. But I think it's a concept that creeps into recovery because you're like, oh, I'm wearing this, like this is this huge burden, this huge curse. It's not a burden. It's not a curse. It's just one of a thousand characteristics about Paul Churchill or about Scott. What it, it is, it's, it's yeah. a limitation, right? It's, it's, it's not a, I mean, it's a defect, a flaw, whatever. It, it, it's a disease, but it's a limitation. It, it, that it, I, if I want to set myself up for success... I'm not going to be drinking anymore because I have a limitation with my ability to drink alcohol. I can't do it. So why try? Exactly. Doesn't mean you like chocolate ice cream. Doesn't mean you, you know, like the Denver Broncos. True. First one false. Exactly. It doesn't have, I mean, it's not, it's not who you are. It's just one little thing about you that I can't do this. Look at all the things I can do, but I can't do this. You know? Absolutely. It's Scott, if there's one parallel that I've seen on this podcast, I think you're the fourth lawyer attorney that I have interviewed, which is incredible. And it just goes to show that this disease does not discriminate all professions, all IQ levels. But here's where I worry about you very intelligent lawyers is I, my addiction, I have personified him and given him a name called Gary. Gary talks to me all the time. I can just see your addiction talking to the judge and saying, judge, can, can I approach the stand for a second and go up to the judge, look back at you, be like, you know, you see that guy, Scott, 
I don't think he's an alcoholic. Look, he's been sober for, for two and a half months since November 10th. I'm going to file a motion right now, hoping you grant it or pass the motion that, you know, let's, uh, let's give Scott a drink after work. Has any of that happened yet? You know, I, not, not really. I mean, you know, I know that there's an alcoholic personality in there. I mean, absolutely. And you do hear from that guy once in a while to say, Hey, uh, really? You don't want a beer now? You know, like, you just finished, you, like, for example, my wife and I just went to Mexico City and Pueblo. We traveled together, right? Well, traveling involves drinking, right? I mean, you know, that's part of what you do when you're on vacation. I told you I'm, go- I'm going to New Zealand soon. Uh, that's just a pleasure trip. That How can you possibly go to New Zealand and not drink? And, there, and the way is you just do. But that voice, that voice, who, particularly when it's doing something that you're used to doing with, a drink. That's when I think that's a moment of weakness when that voice is going to hop out and say, "Come on, man! How, <laughs> what, why? Why are you doing this to us? Just, you know, you can you can do this." And so you you know, I think it's just a matter of again, did I start that day saying, "I'm an alcoholic. I'm a grateful, joyful alcoholic. I I am not a cursed alcoholic. I am somebody who's admitting I've got a problem." Right with this one thing. And I'm not going to drink today. And I'm asking God to help me not drink today. And so you do that. Gary's not got a place in your life, man. I don't think. No, Gary's on the bleachers right now. And that's where he's going to sit. Scott, you just said it. You said, I'm not going to drink today. I'm going to ask God for help. You are so far you're so far along on this. I, I love it. And, and I, I know you're going to do fantastic in sobriety and keep it going. Hey, Scott, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions in 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready, Paul. All right. Number one, Scott, what was your worst memory from drinking? Okay, Paul, it's not really what's there in my memory bank. It's what's missing. It's looking back and seeing empty photographs. Things I would have done had I not been drinking. Mm, I love it. Number two, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? You know, that's my that's my portfolio. I uh, I'm gonna I wake up. I I do what I've described. You know, I uh, exercise. I make sure that I exercise regularly. Get some kind of physical activity. Set small goals. Accomplish those goals. If there's something I got to do, I do it. And, and one of the things I haven't mentioned is I make time for silence during the day. I call it going in the classroom silence. I spend at least 20 minutes um, asking God what his will is for me in my life that day and being willing to do it. So I, I ask God to be there. I offer him the time, and then I agree to accept whatever the consequences are. So 20 to 30 minutes of that is nice. If I can describe that recovery portfolio in one word, that's action. You're taking a lot of action. Number three, what is your favorite resource in recovery, Scott? It's the Recovery Elevator Podcast, Paul, and the Classroom Silence. (laughs) I love it. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. And uh, number four, Scott, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Okay, I'm going to go with two parts here, Paul, because I'm a lawyer. (laughs) On your podcast, you had this lady named Ella. And she talked to me early on through your podcast and she said, start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. Mm. And I thought that was the best advice I got Uh, apart from another one, which is more along the spiritual lines, which is don't tell God 
how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. Wow. Tell your problems how big your God is. And that is that is in conjunction with life happens. It doesn't happen to you. It just happens. And next up, what parting piece of guidance, Scott, can you give to our listeners who are in early recovery or thinking about quitting drinking? Okay, if you're thinking about quitting drinking, tying back to something we said earlier, just ask yourself this. Is there enough evidence to convict me of not being in control of alcohol in my life? And do it like you were on a jury, you know, no prejudice, no bias, no sentimentality. And like a stranger was looking at your life, knowing all the facts and judging that question. And I think you will, um, you'll get the answer. Wow. I love it. And just with that statement, I can tell you were successful in the court of law. Scott, and last, before we depart, give listeners your own personalized, you might be an alcoholic if. Okay, this comes from my personal life pretty much on a daily basis. You might be an alcoholic if you drive out of your way in order to avoid going to the same store two days in a row for booze, even though you don't know the store clerks and they don't even speak your language. Oh, wow. And I got one for you, too. You might be an alcoholic if when you tell your childhood friend that you're an alcoholic, they say, hang on one sec, pull out their phone, and they're like, yep. Yep, I just sold all my shares of the Anheuser-Busch Coors, <laughs> Coors stock. So, uh, yeah, good job. That's awesome. Great. Well, that's, uh, that's great, Paul. It's, uh, it was great talking to you. Yeah, Scott, thank you so much for helping me stay sober. Keep in touch, please. Okay, thank you, Paul. Before we get to the You Might Be an Alcoholic gift segment, let's hear from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recent recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.SoberNation.com. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. You might be an alcoholic if submit your own personalized you might be an alcoholic if to info at recoveryelevator.com. They can be funny, they can be sad, but most importantly, they got to be true. This first one's from Christine. You might be an alcoholic if you go snow snorkeling in the nude in Wisconsin. That sounds cold. This next one's from Julie. You might be an alcoholic if you know you're out of wine, so you stop by and borrow slash steal a bottle of wine from your in-law's house on the way home. The next day, when you go back to replace your borrowed slash stolen bottle of wine, you get busted in their house, and you make up some lame story about how you were just there looking for your child's coat that they probably left there the week before. This next one's from Tim. You might be an alcoholic if you were a youth elder at church and decide not only to drink before driving a van full of middle schools around town for a holiday event, but continue to drink and drive the entire time. And the only reason you don't smoke the pot with you is because you didn't get the chance, but you immediately did so when the kids got out of the van. Tim, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. This last one is from Maggie. You might be an alcoholic if you use a bar stool as a walker so you don't fall down. I love it, Maggie. Recovery Elevator, we are better in numbers. That is a fact. If you would like to join one of our Recovery Elevator private accountability groups by region, meet other like-minded individuals that live in the same geographic region as you. Go to recoveryelevator.com, accountability, fill out the form, and we'll get you in the right group. And I was serious about the meetup in Peru. If you are interested in attending the Recovery Elevator meetup in Peru, again, October 7th to October 16th, send an email to info at recoveryelevator.com, subject line Peru. 
Speaking of meetups, we have one February 27th in Seattle, March 5th in San Francisco. Go to recoveryelevator.com, RSVP there. It's going to be a great time. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. You 